Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. We will get to some major news and notes around the NFL off the top, and then we'll get to your feedback across the lines as well as social media throughout the remainder of the program. Paul, it never is light on NFL news around this time of the year, even though we are in the heart of the NFL offseason. And you and I talked about this. Remember, any player that is let go and is considered a street-free agent can sign immediately. Yes. So yesterday we heard multiple reports, specifically from ESPN's Adam Schefter, Greg Olson, who did become a street-free agent because he parted ways with the Carolina Panthers. Looks like he's going to sign a one-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks to join forces with Russell Wilson, the tight end is such an integral part of their offense, Mm -hmm. so that's not necessarily a surprise, and here is a player that still has proven he has some gas in the tank, and he's going to join the Seahawks out west. Local guy from Wayne, New Jersey, up here in Passaic County, North Jersey area, um, North Jersey, period. Uh, A guy who is quite accomplished, did some TV work within the last 12 months, and I think a lot of people thinking, well, he may go the Jason Witten route and just go to TV. But then Witten came back and played. <laughs> so well, he does the best of both worlds right now. He <laughs> broadcasts know? any place. So in any event, uh, but a guy who uh, certainly with, with local connections. So I know a lot of Giants fans in the area are very familiar for when he played at Wayne Hills uh, High School. And, of course, his dad, the whole Olsen family, very well known. If you know anything about high school football in New Jersey, the Olsen family is his royalty. And so uh, good for him if, if, in fact, he's landed a nice rich deal with the Seahawks. Yeah, I like the fit mainly because, as I mentioned, if you look at the Seahawks offense, they really have not had a star-wide receiver. They have DK Metcalf, who was a rookie last year, who came alive late in the second half of the season, and then Tyler Lockett. Outside of that, really, it's Russell Wilson spreading the wealth, but the tight end is such a key ingredient. Will Disley was hurt with the torn Achilles, and then, you know, they utilized some other younger well, guys, and most of them are free agents, so they actually, they need a tight end right let now. Let me ask you this. Who do you think is the all-time Seahawks leading receiver at the tight end position? They've never really had a star tight end in that franchise. No, that's fair. I would say it's probably somebody even before Pete Carroll would be my guess, because they brought in Jimmy Graham, but Jimmy Graham didn't put up monster numbers. That's a good question. In terms of who is the all-time leading tight end in receptions and receiving yards? That's a a good trivia question. It's not been a very high-profile position for that organization. not at all. But it's been an area since, I would argue, Pete Carroll came along with the various offensive coordinators. It's been a crucial position, especially in the blocking attack and as a dump-off option to Russell Wilson. But as you mentioned, it's not necessarily a guy that you know comes in and automatically leads the team in receiving yards or leads them in receiving touchdowns. But this is a good opportunity for Greg Olson. If he's looking for an opportunity to still produce and still you know be that focal point, game in and game out, I don't think you could pick a better environment right now than Seattle. So it makes a lot of sense for both sides here. Well, let me ask you this, and we might as well throw the name out there because I mentioned it just a minute or so ago. What is Jason Witten up to these days? Well, that relates to this tight end conversation. He actually came out publicly the other day, Paul, and said he's had good conversations with ownership and Mike McCarthy, but there's no guarantee he's going to return. Exactly. So that's another guy with name value and certainly experience, and he's won a lot of games during his career and is uh, the kind of guy who, you know, in my mind, maybe because I've just seen him so often with the Giants, it seems like he was going to play forever, could probably still provide some value to something. Yeah. No doubt. 
I actually think it makes sense for Dallas to hold on to him because you look at what he did last season for them out of retirement. You know, that's also a nice insurance policy for Dak Prescott. And think about also from a leadership standpoint, Paul, you're a new head coach of Mike McCarthy. Mm -hmm. Who's stable when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys? You know what bothers my mind about him? His durability. Well, that goes without saying. Yeah. I, I, mean, I always say that's not an area that people give football players never enough credit. And we no. always talk about it in terms of Eli Manning. Yep. Okay. At quarterback. And I get it. Quarterbacks take a bunch of really nasty hits during the course of the season. And on many instances, you wonder how in the world they peeled themselves up off the ground. But tight ends, they do a lot of dirty work. And they take a lot of hits over the middle, too. And somehow, someway, Jason Witten has been Gumby. You know, he has been the Gumby of tight ends. And I don't know where his game streak ranks in tight ends history, but I bet you he's pretty damn high. Well, if memory serves me correct, I don't think Jason Witten has missed a game since his rookie year. I don't think I so say, either. Paul, I'm going to look it up because now you have me curious. So all but time games played at tight end, he's got to be he's got to be three up there. If not Absolutely. number one. Because remember the game against the Giants in 2012, remember the spleen? Yeah. He played. I know. He actually suited up in that I game. Know. I know. Tell me I know. I'm just providing facts. I'm not trying to ruffle your feathers here. Look, you could tie his ankles together and he'd still play against the Giants. He probably would. Yeah, he has not missed a game since 2003. Because so. that year he played 15 games, Paul. Ever since 2003. So from 04 to the present, he has not missed a game. And I know he took off 18, but he was retired. He didn't miss games. He just right. wasn't in the NFL. Right. So he has not missed a game since 04 which is, once again, remarkable because this is not the quarterback we're talking about. This is a tight end position where you get hits in blocking and receiving. By the way, I was bringing up the Seahawks' all-time receiving list. Yes. Now, Jimmy Graham is the highest tight end, but here's the thing. I don't know if this is his Seahawks numbers or everything. My guess is, now that I think about it more, it probably is just his Seahawks numbers because he has over 2,000 yards. Yeah, probably with just the Seahawks alone, right? Wouldn't that make sense? Yes. So he actually is the all-time leader in receiving yards for a tight end in Seahawks history, which just goes to show you he wasn't the entire organization. No, he wasn't. And the next guy on the list is Etula Mealy who played from 1998 to 2006. By the way. Absolutely a household name. Jason Witten. He does own the tight ends record. For consecutive games played? Total games also. Okay. Yeah. No Can, surprise. Can, wow. <laughs> do the math. 04 to current. Consecutive games, 235. Total games, 243. It's insane. <laughs> it really is. Actually, no. Let me let me correct that. That is consecutive games is 235 plus eight postseason games. Gives him consecutive games overall of 243. <laughs> you know, if... I saw correctly, the guy at the top of that list looks very familiar at the all-important spot, right? Because I don't think Jason was the top guy on that list that you had, that you were looking at, if I saw that correctly. Uh, consecutive starts, it says, uh, he's got consecutive starts is 186, including playoffs. Okay, for so that's the tight end position. But that right. was, what about that list that you had with this entire grouping? right. This is it's by this is oh, by, it's by this what, is position by, or this is by most consecutive starts period. Brett Favre is number one. At okay. Well, then you know what you were looking including at. Playoffs. You were also looking at. Wasn't there a list of most consecutive games played? Which that's is what different. this is. That's, that's what this games is. played. This or is starts? Con- this is consecutive games started. I'm sorry. Okay. But what about games played? 
Is there a list of games played? Games played. Meaning most consecutive games played. It yes. doesn't matter if you start. There. Who's on the top of that list? Well, that's our guy. Well, that's what I'm saying. So I did see that correctly. I just oh, wanted to yes, make sure yes. that he's still in his current position. Oh, by far. Yeah. He's got 363, which is 40 more than Brett Favre. And that that's Jeff Fiegels. Jeff yes, Fiegels, we by were the talking way. About. Yes. 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 There you go. Okay. Yes. Well, people should acknowledge him. I'm just saying. Not enough. I, well, think I would never him. not take credit or give take credit away from Jeff. We were talking about no, of course we were you talking know, about quarterbacks, yes. tight ends. We but were Jeff talking about is punters. up there. But yeah, Jeff the overall is yes, the number one for guy. consecutive games. Three hundred and sixty-three. Because remember, games the punter played. doesn't count as a starter. Correct, since the punter is not on the that's, field that's at the beginning the, of the yeah, game, which is technically an issue. But a kicker is quite honestly not a starter either, because if you're kicking on the other team who doesn't have the opening kickoff, technically you're not a star. Absolutely. I wouldn't disagree <laughs> with you. Well, that's why, stat. to me, most games played, consecutive games played, is the more telling stat. I because agree. that encompasses everybody in the National Football League. Now, speaking of... And by the way, we should say this. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, going to interrupt. Chris Gardaki is second on the punters list at 258. Folks, think so about that for that a second. just put that in perspective, yeah. 258. Jeff Fiegel's played in 363 straight games... And second among punters is Chris Gardaki at 258. That blows the mind. Anyway, okay. No, I think that is a a very important (laughs) point to throw out here to the forefront. I'm actually just out of curiosity. I'm looking at Chris Gardaki's first season was 91, and then he played through 2006, whereas Jeff, I believe, what, 88, I think, was Jeff's first season, if memory serves me correctly. It was. And then he went till, what, 2010. So, oh, oh, wait! I miss Shane Leckler. My my apologies. The audacity of you. Two sixty four for Leckler. Okay. So and there then are a few is two fifty eight. But but those are the only punters. That's still a sizable gap, though. Well, they're the only punters Leckler. who are over two fifty. You'd have to go down to Dan Straczynski, uh, who of course uh, was known for his time with the Steelers and the Falcons. He's at two twenty eight. Yeah. So there, there are only three punters who who even have eclipsed two fifty. And Fiegels is up at 363. I mean, that's just amazing to me. While we're on the subject, because I guess we're fascinated with Jeff Fiegels today, as you can tell. Yes, we should always be. Who is the closest active player to that number? Because clearly a bunch of guys underneath Jeff are not even active anymore. So who would be the most recent active guy that could even attempt to get into the ballpark? LP Lottasaur. The uh, Cowboys at 246. So Jeff has more than 100 games under his belt. To the closest active guy. Yeah, and he's not going to make it. I'd say Jeff's got a nice cushion there. We may be talking about Jeff for quite some time. Phillip Rivers is at 236. He would be second on the active list. Yeah. Well, remember, Phillip Rivers never missed a start with the Chargers, Mm -hmm. which is extremely impressive because he didn't start his first two years. Drew Brees was there, which brings us to the next item on our to-do list in terms of NFL news and That's notes. why I threw that out there. Well, see, it always comes full circle, Paul. It's amazing. I knew, I knew you know, where you we You take were going. us off the cliff, and no, I've got to now drag I, you back. I but we finally got it. with Philip Yeah, it, it was smooth. It was very smooth. It, it took us about 17 I player references to get there. I threw oh, you yes. the fish. Well, I gladly reeled it in to continue <laughs> your analogy. Drew Brees announced on Instagram the other day he is returning for a 20th season. And in all likelihood, it will be with the New Orleans Saints, even though technically he is still a free agent. But I'm sure they're going to work things out. So what that means is Teddy Bridgewater probably is going to be the sacrificial lamb for New Orleans. Taysom Hill is a restricted free agent and clearly plays multiple positions. So this is where the dominoes start to 
play a role in NFL free agency and the transition tag, the franchise tag, because while there are a lot of attractive quarterbacks, Paul, who are designated to be free agents, I would argue we don't know truly how much movement there may be. But now with Breeze coming back, Teddy Bridgewater, you figure, is going to be able to test the market. And then once Tom Brady makes a decision and Phillip Rivers makes a decision, that's going to then set in motion the next tier of guys like Ryan Tannehill and so forth. Well, now let me tie this question or this topic into the Giants because the Giants have Daniel Jones going into his second NFL season. Alex Tanney is still under contract this year. He is a, an experienced veteran who was a very, very well-liked player in the locker room, but specifically head coach Pat Shermer had tremendous regard for Alex Tanney. Well, Shermer is now the quarterback's coach in Denver. Uh, is Alex Tanney going to be backing up Daniel Jones this year? I don't know. And if he's not, it's not because of performance, because he certainly did not do anything wrong to lose the job. But there are going to be some quarterbacks left out of the musical chairs come this season. And some of these guys are going to have names. They're going to be accomplished. They're going to be vets. And they're going to have to settle for backup jobs. Not every guy is going to get a starting job of these quarterbacks who are going to be set free. So the question becomes, if you're the Giants, and I, I don't know... I don't know what kind of discussions that Joe Judge has had with Alex Tanney. I really don't, and we won't know that probably for quite a while. But could the Giants potentially wind up landing one of the guys who's left out of the quarterback musical chairs, and all of a sudden they've got themselves a guy who's got a more extensive resume than Tanney? Because let's face it, Alex Tanney's been around a while, but he hasn't played a lot of games. Yeah. No, I think you bring up a good point, Paul. I would say if there's anybody that's on the outside looking in, we're probably talking about maybe a Marcus Mariota as opposed to some of those other guys. I think all of those other names are going to get starting jobs or they're going to be brought into teams where there's a legitimate shot to compete. If you come into the Giants, you know you're not competing with Daniel Jones. You're holding the clipboard. Yeah, so if Much there's like anybody... David, David Carr was yeah, for Eli Manning. Exactly. Man. But I think at that point, David Carr also knew realistically that's probably my best option to hang around in the NFL. No question. Jameis Winston, Ryan Tannehill, you know, some of these other guys after we get through the Bradys, the Breeze, and the Rivers, those guys realistically are going to get opportunities to compete or legitimate starting jobs. They're not settling to be that veteran backup. And I'm not saying that you were mentioning those names, but the only guy on the list, once again, who would maybe meet that criteria is Marcus Mariota. I don't think anybody else is settling and is going to be left on the outside. They're either going to go to a team that gives them the opportunity to compete, or they're the guy. There's going to be enough opportunities for that. Teddy Bridgewater is not going to a place where he's going to be the backup. If he leaves New Orleans, which in all likelihood he will, he's going to go to a team that's going to offer him a legitimate shot to win the starting job. And well, he deserves that. Well, I totally concur with that statement, but you're excluding the other quarterbacks who are still going to likely be in that pool. Now... For example, we believe that Andy Dalton could easily be set free. We believe That's that fair. Joe Flacco could easily okay. be Flacco, set free. Okay, Flacco I would put in the category of a Marcus Mariota, if you want to go there. I'll give you that. You know, and so... Dalton, so, I think, is going to get a shot to start. I would think he probably should get an opportunity to compete for a starting job, but I don't know. Uh, so, so there will be other quarterbacks who are going to be in this pool. So when I suggested that there may be a potential uh, uh, out there 
that the Giants may want to investigate, it doesn't mean that the guy's not going to be set free over the course of the next couple well, of months. Well, I didn't realize there that there are you were, going to be some. Well, because you're now considering players currently under contract who may be let go, free agent cuts, releases. I wasn't necessarily going down that road. I was just looking at the existing list right now. Well, because remember, what I was focusing as on. some of the existing free agents find spots, they will nudge out other guys on oh, depth yeah. Well, it's a domino effect, yeah. So yeah. that's why, again, f- folks... I don't know what Alex Tanney's plans are. I don't know what the Giants' plans are for Alex Tanney. He has a contract for this season, and maybe the Giants just stand pat and say, you know what, he gets along great with Daniel Jones, and maybe he he's the answer. Maybe he stays. I don't know the answer to that. I simply say that this quarterback carousel, in some way, shape, or form, could trickle down to the Giants, and you may wind up with a change. 100%. No team is an exception to the rule, as you pointed out. Now, Real quickly, before we open up the phone lines, Tuesday, February 25th, is the first day that teams can hand out tags, both the transition as well as the franchise tags. This year, unlike any other year, because it's the final year of the collective bargaining agreement, every team can use two tags. You can utilize the transition tag and the franchise tag simultaneously. Previously, you could only choose one or the other. So that very well could change the game. From February 25th to March 10th, you can hand out tags. Players that get tagged, then you have until July 15th to work out long-term extensions. That's just the timeline that we're looking at, at least in the immediate future. And that's the first step. The draft, the start of free agency, we're not getting there yet. The first step, and I know next week is the combine, so maybe that is in conjunction with this. I should include that date, but it's tag day. February 25th, Tuesday's the first day that teams are eligible to hand out those labels. Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Live, Mountain Cold Refreshment, Made to Chill. Let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Before you go, some other quarterbacks who are unrestricted free agents, Case Keenum. Another one? I would suspect he would be a likely backup with somebody. I think that's a fair one. Absolutely. Okay, Tannehill, I think, still wants a starting job. And I think Tennessee or somebody else would heavily consider him as I a think starter. he might stay in Tennessee. I think there's a good chance he does. I would agree Chase Daniel is a guy I think is a backup okay. for somebody That's at 34 fair. years old, right? Yep. Who's been with the Bears? Uh, Chad Henney, Colt McCoy. I mean, we're on that lower tier now. Well, that's but, more but, realistic. All those names you're throwing out now, Paul, I'm completely with you. They're unrestricted free agents, so we're yeah. not talking about tampering with anybody here. These are guys whose contracts are up. And and they're going to be looking for jobs. Josh McCown is another name I would throw out there. He even indicated that I think he still wants to play. Did he say that? I, I believe I heard in passing that he does not necessarily want to retire. Mike so Glennon? He's another name. Glennon's another guy who's had a little bit of Matt Moore. These guys, you Moore know, may retire, though. Moore, I don't know, is going Blake to be an option. Bortles. Blake Bortles, yeah. Former Jaguar was with the Rams, yeah. The, these guys are going to be looking for jobs. Yeah. No, All of those are very reasonable names. Now you're in my ballpark of where I consider guys that probably are not going to get starting jobs but are looking for appealing backup roles. And all of those guys are fair game. No doubt about it. And you would think that a guy who's 30-plus would have a better understanding that he may only be brought in to hold the clipboard. Of course, yeah. But I think if there's anything we saw this year, Paul, maybe more so than in recent history, how many starting quarterbacks went down this oh, year? Oh, my right? goodness. How many teams actually had to turn to their backup? I always say it's, it's probably it's one of the most overrated, not overrated, excuse me, overlooked positions in the NFL because, unfortunately, in the salary cap era, you can't afford to keep real good, highly paid players at that position. So you have to get good deals. And if you can have a veteran for a year— Take advantage of it because you're not going to be able to grab that guy 
in other circumstances, especially when there's competition. Let's open up the phone lines now. We start off the festivities with Carlos, who is in Astoria. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Welcome aboard, Carlos. What do you got for us? Hey, good morning, guys. Hi. Good afternoon. You know, guys, I was I just got back from Aruba last night. Uh, I listen to you guys on the beach every day. Well, we are so sorry that you did that. Well, that's a necessity. You bring your umbrella, you bring your towel, and you bring a device with capabilities of listening to Big Blue Kickoff Live. So at least you have your priorities straight. And I brought some ice-cold Coors Lights, just like you guys always pitch every day. There, there we go. go. That's right. Make sure we give love to the sponsor. There you go. You were taught well. Now, while I was, you know, I listened to a lot of the free agency stuff while I was sitting there, and you know, you, you go down that rabbit hole. I was watching some old interviews, um, and I, I, I'm actually, con- I'm very concerned about the off season coming up. And the reason I'm concerned is be- because of Dave Gettleman, and it, it's not because I don't think he's a good talent evaluator. But in watching his postseason presser, his explanation for the Leonard Williams trade made me kind of conclude that this was a guy who made that trade because he was fearing his job status and thought he needed to win a couple of extra games. Disagree. And I, I, Disagree I, I, totally. I, he, he made that trade for the future. He, he, he made that deal because he knew that the moment Leonard Williams stepped onto the field, he was the Giants' most accomplished and most talented defensive lineman. And at, uh, at a guy who was just barely past his mid-20s, the potential to resign this guy once you had him in the house was very high, and he he should be Leonard Williams should be a big part of this front seven moving forward. So I disagree with you one hundred and fifty percent. Yeah, well, I, I disagree with you because That's okay. I think all he you did can be really wrong was. Well, we both should be wrong. Actually, that's also a possibility. We, yeah. we, we both could be wrong, right? Obviously, I don't think we're, none of us are about 100, including Dave himself. That's true. Um, but it, 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 did, it, it seemed like an odd move to make for a rebuilding franchise. Um, and, you know, the state of their record, you know, for a guy that whose job status was on the line, and now you've got to think he's expecting or – Mr. You know, John Marion, Steve Tisch are expecting results here again, and I'm worried that some short-sighted moves may occur this offseason. Um, so that's really just kind of the my, my biggest concern is that maybe Dave is going to feel the pressure to overspend. Um, I, I don't see that happening. Instance. See, the, the reason, Carlos, why I don't see the overspending point coming to fruition is because, number one, Remember, John Mara came out after Joe Judge's press conference and was even asked, you know, do you envision doing 2016 all over again? And he said he'd be very surprised to see that. And 2016 was not that long ago, Carlos. And even though Dave Gettleman wasn't here, I think the front office realizes putting a Band-Aid over something in the short term doesn't necessarily yield consistent positive results. So I personally wouldn't be overly concerned about that. Your point about, you know, listen— is there pressure to retain Leonard Williams? I will say this. Anytime you acquire a player that does not have a long-term contract, you always roll the dice. There's no doubt about it. Listen, the Cowboys with Amari Cooper are in a very similar circumstance. Okay? Do they want to rent really him for a year and a half? It really wasn't similar, though. Well, how was it, how was had, it not similar, though? Because he had a full extra year. Yeah, but it's he only a year. We're talking about, but oh, Carlos, oh, we're talking about a year and a half. You just asked me a question. Yeah, but, but, I'm, but I'm explaining to you it's a year and a half. That's it. We're not talking about five years, two so years, a, a year and a half. Season, That's it. A, a full season is a big difference as opposed to 
seven or eight games or whatever. Well, the price the price was rather different too. Yeah, one hundred percent. Losing year after year. Well, but the Cowboys, the Cowboys gave up a first round pick number one. Okay, which makes it different. And number two, if you got that first round pick and you utilize that, if you're the Cowboys, now I have a player on the contract for nineteen, twenty, twenty one, twenty two, and twenty three because of the fifth year option. Whereas if I lose Amari Cooper, I have him for a year and a half. So there's a significant difference. just because another team made a stupid move also doesn't make that the Giants... Well, first of all, I didn't... Number number one, Carlos, I didn't label it as a stupid move. I brought I'm it up as an example. Fine, you are. Well, just for clarification, you are. Number two, right. I brought it up as a means to say there's always risk involved when you bring in a player who doesn't have a long-term deal in place. That was my point. And Amari Cooper and Leonard Williams, I think, are similar because you bargained on the fact that you're going to get a deal done after a short-term rental. Yeah. And Those here, are the similarities. Here, 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 Carlos, yeah. here's what I will tell you, because here is where I'm a 1,000% right and you're a 1,000% wrong. Dave Gettleman like did not bring in... He did not bring in. He did not bring in Leonard Williams. He did not bring in Leonard Williams to be a, a win now guy. He brought Leonard Williams in for the future. That I'm a thousand percent right on, because his intention was to get Leonard Williams in the house. Because once you get a guy in now, no, no, no. You understand why the Giants now have the opportunity if they want to, they can tag Leonard Williams. They could give him a transition That's tag, a which would give them the right to match or pay him approximately twelve million for one year. So they they're in a much better position than if they waited. You don't know. You don't understand football. You just don't understand oh, how it works. Dan, Dan, he's gone. He's I gone. He's you. gone. We appreciate yeah. the phone call, Carlos. You know. It, the, there is a significant difference in waiting for the guy to be a free agent or getting him in the house. When you get him in the house, you now have an exclusive period of time to talk to him as opposed to yeah. if he hits the open market where there's full-blooded competition. You have that window. That, so you add the window. The second thing you add is the potential to tag him if you so choose. And with the potential of the CBA not happening, where you have a franchise tag and a transition tag at your disposal, two tags at your disposal, that is another added benefit to having the guy in your locker room. Now, what what I will not yield on, Dave Gettleman, when he made the deal for Leonard Williams, believed that Leonard Williams would be part of the future. He did not trade for Leonard Williams to win two or three extra games at the end of last season to save his job. That was Carlos's accusation. He is wrong about that. There's no debate there. He's just flat out inaccurate. Now, whether or not Leonard Williams turns out to be the player I think he's going to be in the next three or four years for the Giants, I could be wrong. I may be, I may be mistaken because you know what? I haven't been right on every player that I've liked. Sometimes I get them right. Sometimes I get them wrong, just like everybody else in the NFL because nobody gets every projection correct. Okay, he likes to bring up Davis Webb. It's one of the guys I got wrong. Hey, it happens. Can't get everyone right. Because if I did, I'd be getting like a $10 million a year contract becoming <laughs> GM for an NFL team. And then and we'd I'd all win, be in trouble. And I'd win the Super Bowl for 10 years in a row. C'est la vie. I, I, we're all human on that. But, but you cannot dispute the reason that Dave Gettleman brought Leonard Williams here. That is not up for debate. 
and he's wrong on that one, and, I, and I'm and i sorry, but I, I have to cut him down on that one. Well, I'm not going to try to get into the head of Dave Gettleman. All I could go by well, is the quote. Well, he brought him here with the intention well, to retain him. Well, and that's exactly what I'm going to read. Please no, no, do. No. Well, I brought it up from Giants.com when he had that interview where he gave his feedback on the trade. But once again, I'm not going to get into his head. The reason why I preface that is I don't know, you know, whether or not he's thinking the way that the last caller was saying, because I don't know. We haven't had conversations with him. All I could go is based on what he said publicly, because that's the only thing that we could do factually. The quote was, and this hits to the point that you were bringing up, Paul, when you're building your team, especially in the offseason, you count on guys to be available. When you get into a situation where you can't count on a guy, how do you plan? The best ability sometimes is availability. Leonard has been available his whole career. We just think that he has plenty of upside. He's athletic. He can run, end quote. And the point was about why it pays to go after him then as opposed to rolling the dice and waiting for him to hit free agency. Now, I would say the transition tag is a valuable weapon for a guy like Leonard Williams because what you're basically saying to Leonard Williams is, Leonard, go out, set the market. Get an offer. Then we at least have five days to match, as opposed to you bargaining with yourself. That's what the transition tag can do for you if they choose to go down that route. There's no indication they will, but at least you have that at your disposal where you can utilize the transition tag on a player like Leonard Williams. If he wants X amount of money and you may not want to give him that right away, then tell him, hey, go out and get the offer. Now, the danger of that, Paul, is somebody puts a deal together where there's a poison pill where they put together some type of thing that makes it virtually impossible to match. And you always run the risk happen. of that. That yeah. could happen. You but know, it is a weapon to be utilized, the transition see, what, what Dave did, he acquired a defensive lineman for a third-round pick for sure, okay, and then there's the, the extra pick that gets thrown in if they do sign him and retain him for long term. Yeah. But think about this. B.J. Hill was a third-round pick, okay? Now, just on the face of it, don't you think that Leonard Williams, with all due respect, is a more talented, more athletic player than B.J. Hill? I think that's fair, especially based on the sample sizes that we have to look at right now. Okay. Leonard Williams has made a Pro Bowl. Yeah. Well, and also I think the jury is still out with respect to B.J. Hill, too. And I still think Leonard Williams has upside, much like I think the Giants hope B.J. Hill has upside. But I think Leonard Williams, who is a former first-round pick and a former top-five pick in the NFL draft, I think to say that... For a third-round pick, the value between a Leonard Williams and a B.J. Hill says you got good value by making that trade. Now, the the conditional pick that they would have to give up in the 2021 draft only comes into play if they re-sign Leonard Williams. Yeah. You would hope that Leonard Williams, if he does re-sign with the Giants for another three or four years, you would hope that that production would be better than a fourth-rounder. You would expect that it well, would be, remember, wouldn't you? But of course, but we also will never know those answers until three or four years go by. Well, that's He's, true. You're not going to get a definitive answer. Even if the Giants re-sign Leonard Williams, Paul, the, the jury no doesn't question. end right there and no, give no. you the answer. No doubt. Response. No, no. Yeah. You, 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 it ta- there was always a time yeah. lag before you can definitively say, did that really work out well or not? But I think the expectation, if you have any concept of logic and football, the expectation is that, A, he's better than B.J. Hill is right now, who was a third-round value, and B, if you're able to retain him, you would believe he's going to give you more than a fourth-round draft pick would. You believe that. 
Well, especially the, since the odds the odds would be in your favor. That's I don't why think that's the trade crazy made to think sense. Yeah. Well, especially the fact that Leonard Williams is a proven commodity in the NFL. You have product to go by based on what he's done on an NFL field with a fourth round pick at that point. Even if you make that selection, you're still rolling the dice again. You don't know what's going to become of no that fourth question. round pick, Paul. At least I know whether or not you're enamored with Leonard Williams or not. You know at least what he's going to give you based on what he's done previously on an NFL field. I mean, do I do I need to tell you Marvin Austin was was a higher pick than that? And how'd that work out? You know, oh wow, Diggy Zoo. How many other defensive Tons linemen have the Giants yeah. had in here that were fourth rounders or higher? And did not give them value. If Leonard Williams resigns, which I think is going to happen, and I certainly hope it happens, I would anticipate the odds are real good he's going to give you more value than what a fourth-round pick would give you. But that is simply an educated guess and an approximation based on pure football logic. Well, and that's why I think a trend we're seeing in the NFL, Paul, is that more often than not, teams are willing to give up draft picks for proven commodities. What I mean by that is players that have already been in the NFL because they figure what's the chances of a third or a fourth round pick giving us what the guy already in the NFL has done. So that's why you see that movement. And also, for example, Minka Fitzpatrick is another one that I think is worth bringing in. Not like the Leonard Williams and Amari Cooper trade because Minka Fitzpatrick is still on a rookie deal. He came into the league in 18. So when the Steelers acquired him from the Dolphins, they said, yes, we're giving up an asset, a first-round pick, but we also know we still have the player for the remainder of 19, 20, 21, and then the option in 22. So you understand the rationale changes because sure. you control that player longer. It was just like when the Giants acquired Jabril Peppers, Paul, and we had conversations about that trade. Yes. This is nothing about the talent or the upside of Peppers. It's the fact that you acquiring him, you have him under your control for multiple years. And therefore, the risk is not as years much. as well. Development, but the risk is not as high as if I acquire a player, Paul, and I get him only for the remainder of a season or maybe a year and a half, then there's more risk because if that doesn't pan out compared to a rookie contract, I would have had a guy under contract no for doubt. four years. So that's the logic that I think we're bringing to the table here. It's not so much the player. It's That's how I think a lot of front office executives are thinking. It's having the luxury of having a guy under your control for X amount of years. Now, the other thing you got to remember about Williams is he's only 25 years old. Of course, yeah. That's it. He's 25. There's a real good chance he's got his best football ahead of him. And then the other thing, too, to, to remember is that when you when you look at, at what the Giants did defensively last year, it was puzzling, to say the least, the defensive scheme. And there's a tremendous amount of hope and anticipation and optimism that Patrick Graham will bring Belichickian defensive philosophies to the Giants. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that Leonard Williams just schooled himself with Richard Seymour. As he has explained on his own Twitter account, he went to see Richard Seymour, who played with Belichick at, at, in the Patriots' defensive front, the 4-3, 3-4, defensive end, defensive tackle hybrid that Seymour played, I think is what Leonard Williams is going to play with the Giants. Patrick Graham is going to bring that down here. At least that's my anticipation. Leonard Williams is the perfect fit to be the next Richard Seymour. Well, it doesn't hurt to be working with somebody I think is familiar with the New England blueprint, to your and point. And I'm sure that's why Leonard Williams went to him. I'm sure that was part of the rationale. Understanding that yeah. Patrick Graham is from that same Belichickian tree, and he wants to make sure that he's going to be properly prepared to do whatever it is that that versatile role that Richard Seymour played is going to be when it's laid on him. I just, 
I, I, I am, my mind is boggled by those people who see that whole thing as a negative gamble. Yeah, it's a gamble, but I see the upside being so much more than the downside. Now, if he does not remain a giant, then you guys got me, okay? Then you got me. Because if he doesn't remain a giant and go somewhere else, then it turned out to be a very, very downsided move. Obviously. Well, an extremely short rental. And then you lose draft picks as a result. So I really doubt that's going to happen. But if it does, that's that's how you got me. And it won't be the first time because we all get got sometimes. Happens to the best of us. All right, let's move on and head back to the phone lines. Bruno is in Atlanta. He joins us right now on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Bruno? Not much. Good talking to you again, boys. Hi. Uh, Just wanted to talk about the draft here. So hear me out. The Redskins on their advanced defense, number 10 in sacks, number 5 in pressures, number 3 in pressure percentage, and they were in the top half in quarterback knockdowns. They drafted Montez Sweat early in in the year, and they yeah, he was their second first round pick, right? Right, and they they just released their probably their I think their best cornerback in Josh Norman. Yeah, do you think that there's any chance that they they actually go and draft Jeff Okuda if they don't do a trade? Do you think they 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 go after Jeff Okuda and there's a chance um, that that uh, Chase Young drops to us? Well, but That's then he he. He could very well, but under your scenario, let's go with your hypothetical. So the Redskins take Okuda, then the Lions could take Chase Young. Right, right. You know, you still got to get past another team, is my point. I'm just really thinking there's going to be, you know, these teams get antsy for the quarterbacks. Even if a a love, you know, isn't as highly ranked a quarterback now, they start getting the hits, they start trading up. So I I can really see a scenario where these – when teams start trading up, and, and there's a chance Chase Young falls to us. I think I, it's I possible. That, you know. I do. I, I don't think I don't think the caller is out of line here. I look, as you guys know, I, I think you know there would be some pause for me. I haven't done all my Chase Young research. I'm looking forward to being at the combine. John and I are going to do four two-hour shows next week from the combine: Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's where I accumulate a lot of information before I start digging into the tape. But I do have certain pause on Chase Young, but let's say you're the biggest Chase Young fan in the world. I do and think there's a... Sen- well, well, let's say you are, and it's okay if you are. I'm not going to... I'm not no, going to... I'm not. I'm not. All right, no. but but it's okay if you are, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, if you it are, is, you are. It, it is not unthinkable that something could happen that would leave him at number four on the board for the Giants. That is not unthinkable, considering Cincinnati's taking Burrow. We all pretty much think that's going to happen. Washington and Detroit, it is absolutely possible that Washington trades the pick out. It's possible that they take Chase Young. It's possible they take Okuda. It's possible they take Simmons. It's possible that that they decide. I mean, who knows what they decide? But they don't have to take Chase Young at two. No, they don't. But and they... Detroit doesn't either. John was telling me, who was it from the NFL Network? Was it Daniel Jeremiah? One of the guys from NFL Network told John at the Senior Bowl they think Detroit's moving on from Stafford. Well, I wouldn't rule that out. I yeah. mean, he had a significant back injury last year. But that you know, doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to draft a quarterback. I mean, they could go out and acquire somebody, okay, but, too. You but don't but have to necessarily is, get a quarterback through the draft. I could see Washington Washington could go for an offensive tackle, too. They could. They, yeah. got, they got that whole Trent Williams issue yet. 
So he may you know, stay though. Yeah, he may. He may stay we, we don't know. Yeah, may stay. So I could see Washington going maybe one of four or five ways. You could probably see Detroit going one of four or five ways. Chase Young would be yeah. a possibility for any one of those two teams, but there's also a chance. There's a Rubik's cube combination that could drop Chase Young to four. So if you really right. want him and you're the Giants. I don't think it's out of the question that he's there. No, it's not out of the question. I still think it's highly unlikely, though. I think the percentages are against that happening. And the other thing that you have to ask yourself if you're Washington, yes, somebody may blow you away with an offer because they want to get a quarterback, to your point, Paul. But you need to ask yourself, is it worth stockpiling picks or is it worth taking Chase Young, who, let's say, they believe is a franchise game-changing edge rusher? And if the answer is you believe he's a franchise game-changing head rusher, then you take Chase Young and you say the hell with the rest of the picks because those picks are still going to deprive you the opportunity from getting Chase Young. So you still need to ask yourself that question as an organization. And I also heard whispers that Ron Rivera and the Redskins have been quite pleased with what they've seen out of Chase Young. So, you know, listen, there's rumors everywhere. I still think it's highly unlikely Chase Young falls to four. Could he go to three? Could he go to three? I think it's perhaps possible. I still think it's highly unlikely he drops to four. With the See, Giants. the other thing that we don't understand and we certainly don't know about is how much does somebody else want a Tua or a Herbert? And it's entirely possible. Look, do you remember when Mike Ditka was with the Saints and he gave up his entire draft to move up for Ricky Williams? Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. Okay, so... The ESPN, the magazine cover. Yeah, so you you never know who, who is going to be so enamored, potentially with a quarterback. Nobody thought that Ditka had any common sense when he made that deal. Everybody thought he was like living on Mars. He traded his entire draft to move up for Ricky Williams. Is there somebody out there who's nuts enough to say, I got to have Tua, or I got to have Herbert, or I got to have somebody that they'll go to, the, to Detroit or Washington and basically pay double to move up and get their quarterback. It could happen. We don't know. Yeah. No, for sure. And, and you know, I think I think the, the Josh Norman is kind of recently, so I don't know if, if this has been talked about. Like, I mean, they're, they're going to have to address this. Well, but you, you have to understand, my- Bruno, the, the other thing, I didn't mean to cut you off, Josh Norman was phased out all of last season. You could still think he was their best corner, and you're entitled to your opinion. I don't necessarily agree with that, but you're entitled to your opinion once again. They went through an entire season where Norman was a bench guy. He had been phased out. So they've already experienced life without Josh Norman. I still think it's a need. I agree with you. I don't think they necessarily have to use the second overall pick to get the corner. I think they can address it in free agency. And I think they could also maybe make a trade or draft somebody lower. The other thing with the Lions is, as you brought up, Paul, even if they're thinking about moving on from Matt Stafford, which I find hard to believe, Matt Patricia knows he's on relatively thin ice as well as the GM, Bob Quinn, because they were only basically guaranteed to come back for the following year. Yeah, he needs to win quick. Correct. So if you're the Lions head coach and you know you have to win quickly, are you really utilizing your third overall pick on a quarterback who may not be ready to play year one? Look, I don't particularly no, just, think they're doing that. And I'm not saying you were. But I could see but, them taking Okuda or Simmons and or that, Young. And that I could, I could agree with you. one of those three guys. Okay, but what I'm saying is in order for Chase Young to get to the Giants, it takes two moves. Are we in agreement with that? It takes two. Mm-hmm. Two moves, okay? Yeah. Because he has mm-hmm. to fall from, we know Burrow's going one, but then he has to slide down two and three. Right. So you have to factor in two moves, not one move. You need two teams to all of a sudden move mm-hmm. the dice, mm-hmm. Okay. That's what it takes. That's why I think it's highly unlikely. It's just in my personal Fair enough. Yeah. Fine, as, yeah. Yeah. As far as I can just see a team trading up 
to to get a quarterback at two or three, and then the Lions taking Okuda because I mean there's there's a lot of a lot of ties to Okuda uh, or. Uh, Lions needing a top tier corner. They're getting rid of Slay now, right? No well, doubt. He's That's supposedly the on the trade block. That's, That's the, the rumor. rumor. Yeah. So they they certainly yeah. could use one. Yeah. So I mean, they could get a Cooper, and then you know, for those who are, I'm a huge uh, Isaiah Simmons fan. So that's my guy. But I mean, I could see. You know, we all know with a pass rusher and, and how we've been lacking on the edge. But my my other question, um, I was just curious, what is Buck Allen's status, and then what do you guys think of for a backup running back? Choosing between Jordan Howard or Isaiah Crowell, and I could take it off the air. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the uh, phone call. Thanks so much for uh, weighing in here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. As far as Buck Allen, I believe he's a free agent. He is. Right? Because he's a veteran, so he should be an unrestricted free agent. I don't think there is anything connected to him that restricts him in any capacity. So, you know, the Giants could choose to bring him back, or he'll test the free agent market. As far as the other two names that the caller threw out, Jordan Howard and Isaiah Crowell, you're talking about, you know, two veterans. Uh, Howard, I think, would be a nice compliment to Saquon Barkley just in terms of style of running um, as far as Crowell. Another guy that I think would work well with Barkley, he, you know, is somebody that was with Cleveland and they brought in a variety of different running backs. He's a guy that could certainly run between the tackles. You know, both of them, I think, are fine options. I don't think there's anything alarming out of either one of them. I just think Howard is a different body type than Saquon Barkley. He's not that same elusive guy as Saquon Barkley. Just based on my own personal opinion on paper, I think Howard would make a little bit more sense than perhaps Kroll in terms of the complimentary back to Saquon Barkley if the Giants are indeed exploring their options at the running back position. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines as we move along here. Woody is in New York. He joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Welcome aboard, Woody. What do you got for us? Hey, how you doing, guys? Good night, Woody. Uh, I had a couple three things here. Uh, cap space. Everybody seems to think we have so much cap space. <laughs> I know we're looking at like $60 million right now. Gettleman mentioned in that press conference, he likes to hold back like $20 million he did. for during the year. That knocks us down to forty. We have to sign our draft class. That's another $10 million. You're down to thirty. If you're going to sign Leonard Williams back, you ain't getting that done for less than $10 million a year, I don't think. Do you think I'm uh, unrealistic? I mean, that's we're down to twenty, twenty-five million. I mean, I know you can, you can cut a few guys and, and bring back another fifteen or twenty. You know, yeah, there, there's Martin, some flexibility with some of the deals they have right now, and and so it's kind of hard for us to to really nail down what their numbers should be because there will be some flexibility and there will be some guys jettisoned, I'm sure. So ah, uh, you know. Look, I, I understand your point. I think that, that some people overestimate how much value they'll have or how much space they'll have. And I think sometimes people underestimate what they can do. So it's kind of like we're better off letting it play out than really sitting here trying to figure out how much money Dave's going to have in his wallet. And remember, that $20 million comment that you're referring to, Woody, that was an estimate, a broad estimate by Dave Gettleman. That doesn't mean that you automatically have to put $20 million aside. I think it's just a matter of right. you always need to go into a season saying, hey, injuries are going to come up, you're going to have to sign street-free agents, so therefore... That in conjunction with the rest of the money, which is also utilized for the draft class, you always have to put money aside. And I think that number also incorporated money needed for the draft class. It wasn't just for pure street-free agents. And then I think the other really, really questionable part to this whole thing 
is we, we're hoping there's a new CBA put in place for the 2021 season. We're hoping You're that You're talking that about happens. before this season starts? Yes, we're hoping that happens. We don't know that that's going to yeah. happen. But if you're going to sign free agents, remember, you sign a free agent to a multi-year deal with multi-tiers of money as that deal gets spread out, with multi-levels of bonuses and multi-levels of guarantees. And those things are going to be impacted by what they believe the structure of the next CBA is going to be and what the new salary cap is going to be. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is that there are so many variables, it almost doesn't make sense to really try to have a narrow conversation about it. No, I think that's a great point, Paul, because if you sign a guy to a long-term deal before a new CBA is set up, the contract doesn't disappear once the new CBA comes into play. No, you carry it over, it. but the conditions under the new CBA may change, which could have salary cap implications, no to your point. So that may be another reason why, not to say teams are not going to be aggressive, but maybe teams are going to think twice in terms of how they spend their money, Paul, because they don't know what the new conditions will be laid out in the new CBA. It's a lot of a guessing game because of the uncertainty of beyond 2020. There's so, no doubt about it. In short, the caller is right to be uh, throwing up a yellow flag. Like, don't be hog wild crazy and think the Giants can spend like, like nuts to get a bunch of guys. They are going to have to mind their P's and Q's and be very, very judicious with how they fork over their Benjamins. Well, and another name that the caller didn't mention, you know, Marcus Golden, too, is a free agent. So if you choose to re-sign him mm -hmm. on top of Leonard sure. Williams, that's a lot of money that you're going to have to delegate sure. to two players at the same position. I don't so, know. Did we sort this out for you at all? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's just a little bit early to be figuring on that. But I just think we don't have as much as people think we do. And that's a fair um, point. Yeah. I think some people think they can just, like, spend from here to the moon, and that's not the case. Yeah, you don't just make it rain as easily as you <laughs> pointed out, Woody. There's no doubt about that. But the other, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the offensive line, and, you know, that ain't fixed, and that is the absolute number one priority in my estimation because mm – -hmm. It just makes such a difference. Your quarterback has time to throw. Barkley can get to the line of scrimmage without having three guys dragging off his leg. It helps your defense. Maybe you can have a little more time of possession and your your weak defense isn't on the field as long. Correct. Four-minute drill. You got the game. You got the lead. You got the ball. Maybe you can run out the clock and your defense doesn't have to get back on the field. Mm-hmm. You're a thousand percent I mean, correct. It, look, you know, if, if you if you've I'm been around, double down. Yeah, if you've been around me or around this show, you know, offensive line is always the root of everything for me. It always starts there. And if you go back to the uh, 2014 Cowboys when they employed a very simple philosophy: we're going to dominate up front. We're going to control the clock. We're going to control the tempo. We're going to use the power running game, and we're going to have great special teams. Those two things are going to help us camouflage a suspect defense. And somehow the Cowboys were able to whittle themselves away to a 12-4 and record. Okay? It can be done. Yep. That, is a, that is a definite uh, option. That is an employable philosophy in the league if you've got a suspect defense. In fact, that's the only way you can expect to try to compete as a winning team if you've got a suspect defense. Well, the Chiefs did it for a majority of this past season. I think they're even a better example, a more recent example, and appreciate the phone call, Woody. Thanks so much. 
they did not really get their act together on the defensive side of the ball until the second half of the season. So what did they have to do in the first half of the season? Pound the football and work the magic of Patrick Mahomes. It can be done. It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily the ideal recipe, but if you have a good offense that can milk the clock, most important, can then finish off drives with touchdowns. Remember, time of possession is hollow if you don't put points on the board specifically through touchdowns. Let's head back to the lines. Don is in Texas. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Don? Hey, how you doing, Lance? Hey, P-Dot. Hi. You're right, Don. What's on your mind? I, I'm calling in regards to free agency in the draft, but before I get to that, I just want to revisit the Leonard Williams trade. Okay. you guys were talking about earlier. And P-Dot, I'm 100% in agreement with you that if they don't re-sign him, then the whole thing was a failure. I myself, I really, really liked the trade. And the reason is, you know what you're getting with the Leonard Williams. Not only do you trade for him, you control his rights, Mm -hmm. so now you can make the negotiations to sign him. You don't make a trade like that without the intention to sign him. Right. With a third-round pick, you're just speculating. You know, your first two rounds of your picks, you're looking at a home run in the first round. You're looking for a double in the second round. And in the third round on, you don't know what you're going to get. So you know what you're getting with Leonard Williams, which is why I really like the trade. Now, if somebody countered me and said, I don't like the trade because you're giving up one of the top 100 picks, you make a very good point. But overall, I know what we're getting with Leonard Williams. I really like the trade, and I hope they sign him. And you're right, Dot. If they don't sign him, then the whole thing was a failure. Right. And, and to me, to me, that's about the only absolute. That's if it correct. goes that way, that's the absolute, and there's just no way to defend that. That's right. And, okay. and I agree. I don't, I don't think it's going to get there because I do I believe don't think they're so going to tag him. I believe they're going to negotiate the way they had to do Odell Beckham. They tagged OBJ. They, you know, they took care of these things so nobody can touch them. So they controlled the negotiations. That's what I think is going to happen. Well, they never tagged OBJ, just to Not be clear. OBJ, but yeah. you know, right. as far as uh, they did it with JPP as well. JPP, correct. Yeah. That's right. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, the other two things I want to talk about in regards to free agency, I want to talk about the guys that are currently on the team that they picked up. What do you guys think the chances are? of bringing back a Buchanan and a Mayo, because I really like the way they fit in. Hmm. The problem is you don't know what this new coaching staff thinks. Yeah. You know, the the old coaching staff, certainly we know that Betcher had ties to Buchanan with the Cardinals, and we also know that Mayo, who was an overachiever and a guy who was primarily a special teams player with Carolina when Gettleman was there, came in here and gave his all. I mean, in some ways, he was a Chase Blackburn type for the Giants last year. And the coaching staff truly appreciated what he brought to the table. But now you've got a new coaching staff. They've gone through their evaluations, and I haven't seen their portfolios. I don't know what they think about a David Mayo. And, you know, you could argue that he's one of those guys who is just a guy. You know, he's he's not a standout player where you say, well, you know, we can't replace him. He's certainly a guy who's replaceable. I mean, if the new coaching staff decides to do so. Well, in addition to having ties to Gettleman, remember, David Mayo also has ties to Thomas McGahee, who is still here as the special teams right. coach. So that evaluation could very well help him, whereas Dayon Buchanan is really only tied to James Betcher. That was his significant tie, and part of the reason why brought in midseason, they had some holes. Well, let's bring in a guy who knows our system. Whereas I think Mayo's got more ties still with the Giants, even though the staff has changed dramatically, whereas Buchanan doesn't. So if you just go based on that logic, I'd say Mayo has higher chances than Buchanan. But once again, that's just me from the outside looking in observing it from that standpoint. That doesn't mean that the new coaching staff feels very positive about either one of those players. I will say this. I don't think that either of them is going to break open the piggy bank, Don, 
So from a financial <laughs> standpoint, I don't think it's a stretch to say, oh my God, what do the Giants have to do to retain them? I think they can easily be retained, mm-hmm. but the wild card here is, what does the new staff think? I think Mayo's got a stronger case because of McGahee's presence more so than Buchanan. Oh, that's a great point. Thanks, Lance. Yeah. And I'm going to, before I get into the draft, I'm going to just bring up a point. And PDOT, before I hang up, I'm going to ask you for a favor after talking about the draft. Okay, so in regards to the draft, I was calling last week about the potential about trading down. Now, everything I'm going to bring up is based if they stay at the fourth pick. I always call, like, hey, what we can do, what can we do this, can we trade this? What I'm going to talk about is what we cannot do in this draft, especially with our first-round pick. What you can't do leaving the first round is not having that left tackle or some form of a pass rush addressed in that first-round pick. Now, that brings up to these – everybody's talking about Chase Young, Lance Pidot. I really want you guys to pay attention to Derek Brown from Auburn. This guy is nasty. So this guy can get to the quarterback. He can play any position on the defensive line. I really want you guys to watch his tape and then tell me what you think on him. And if they don't go with him at number four, look at Willis, the left tackle from Alabama. This guy's a polar bear on ice skates. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the correlation to Saban, to Joe Judge, it, it lines up. Everything's lining up. The type of football that they play with what Garrett's going to bring in. Willis, the left tackle from Alabama, looks like it makes a little more sense. But I would not lose sleep if they go after Derrick Brown from Auburn. Watch this kid. He is nasty. P-Dot, he's your kind of player. Okay. P-Dot, after you watch those two guys... Do not bring them up that you want them for the Giants because we won't end up with either of them if you bring it up. <laughs> oh, Thanks. I know. I know. Somebody's going to swoop in and take them away. All right, Don. Appreciate, I appreciate the call. It. Um, I wanted to mention one thing about the Chiefs' defense, and you brought it up uh, a few minutes ago when we were talking about the philosophy of power offense and great specials can camouflage a average defense, let's just say. Well, Spags made that average defense good enough that they were able to hold on and win a Super Bowl, although Patrick Mahomes had a lot to do with that. Let's not kid ourselves. Do you know that the Kansas City Chiefs' starting defense this year did not have one player who was drafted in the first round on it? I did not realize that off the top of my head. That's interesting. Not one. Well, a lot of the guys brought into this defense, remember, were acquired through a trade. No, so, no. So I'm talking about... No, but you're talking about anywhere, even if they were acquired through a trade. Nobody was a first-round They first had one, two, three... Three second-round picks, yeah. two third-round picks, three uh, fourth-round picks, and two guys who were not drafted, period. That made up the starting defense on the Kansas City Chiefs for the Super Bowl team. Yeah. They did not have a single first-round draft pick starting on defense. That's a pretty amazing stat, which just goes to show you how terrific Steve Spagnuolo is as a defensive coordinator. Man, does he maximize talent. And guys also staying healthy, too, is a big part of it as well. Uh, By the way, just to provide some perspective here, I I think Derek Brown is somewhat of an underrated player to the Colas point, but the significant difference between Chase Young and Derek Brown is Chase Young was a high-volume sack guy in college. Derek Brown was not. Okay, Mm -hmm. now that doesn't mean that Derrick Brown can't get to the quarterback at the NFL level. Don't misinterpret it, but Derrick Brown had 12 and a half sacks over the course of his career. Chase Young had 16 and a half last year alone. Okay, so that's something that you have to evaluate. Is he a guy that he's going to get home consistently, or is he going to take on double teams and maybe open up opportunities elsewhere? Jason is in Vermont. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Welcome aboard, Jason. What do you got for us? How's it going? Doing right. Uh, I got a football question. Uh, I would hope it's a football question. Premier uh, <laughs> left tackle, 
So if you have a left-handed quarterback, would that move your premier tackle to the right side? Say that one more time. I didn't hear the first part of your statement or your question. Who's a premier tackle? You have your left tackle is your premier guy, your your main guy. So okay. if you have a left-handed quarterback, would that make your right tackle your premier tackle? Well, for, the, for example, if Ken Stabler was, was playing quarterback, he was a lefty, yeah. one of the greatest lefties who's ever played the game. No, I I think I think what happens in today's game, you have so many pass rushers who flip flop ends. And quite frankly, some of them are actually playing opposite your right tackle. That you have to have solid tackles on both sides. I don't know that you have to necessarily um, gauge your pass protector because the guy's a left tackle. I think what you need to figure out is where your power run game is going to be. Because you need your mauler. Your mauler has to be the tackle where you're going to run your power run game to. That to me so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your quarterback, your starting quarterback's a righty, and you can have a left-handed backup. That well, wouldn't well, be, because to, in today's game, there's so much flip-flopping going on. It's see, it's mm. different. Years and years and years ago, you pretty much knew that the right defensive end was the better pass rusher. That was that's yes. well. That's where and, usually and so, the guy right? lined up, I and you're right. And yeah. your left tackle was going to have to protect him because of the blind side. But nowadays in the NFL, coordinators are like, forget the old fashioned stuff. We're going to flip flop these guys, and we're going to send blitzers from all over. We're going to send them in the A gap and the B gap, and we're going to send uh, uh, you know guys on the front side on a blitz. So much is being done nowadays that I think the emphasis on that is lessened. So I don't yeah. necessarily believe that you have to scheme it the way you're talking about. Listen, the bottom line is, Jason, you can't hide a tackle, whether it's a left yeah. side or a right side. You can't hide a tackle uh, in the NFL, to Paul's point. Great point. Because there are teams that have two really good pass rushers, and one of them is going to line up on each side. However, this is, I will say something about your point. The dynamics do change because the blind side of the quarterback does change when you have a different-handed quarterback. Well, you're going to scheme yeah, it different. You're going to yes. scheme you're it differently. Scheme, correct. So if you're a defensive coordinator, you may line up guys to try to take advantage and put more yeah. pressure on the right tackle because the blind side has changed now. So that does change. But I think Paul's point is, I don't care whether it's a right-handed or a left-handed quarterback, you have to have two good tackles because a defensive coordinator is creative enough in today's NFL. He's going to try to capitalize. They are. And one last question, and I'll take it out there. Uh, how is the rehab on Corey Coleman going, and do you think we will resign him? Well, it's a fair question, Jason. We'll let you go on that note. He did tear his ACL before the season started. Uh, I have not heard anything definitive in terms of Corey Coleman. He is going to be a free agent, though. Keep that in mind. Corey Coleman's mm -hmm. not under contract. So in terms of his rehab, a little bit different when you're a free agent compared to you're a guy currently under contract and still under the control of the team. He is permitted, though, uh, to be here yeah. because of the injury factor. That, that allows him to still work out with the trainers and with the strength and conditioning people as they rehab him. They are still responsible to help him get through that. So I do think at the moment um, there's still a possibility he could be in their plans. I do know I saw him at the end of the season, and he seemed very optimistic that he would be okay for the upcoming 2020 campaign, and he certainly wants to have a shot. 
whether or not the Giants feel like they want to retain him is is another story that we can't even get into. Well, the, we don't know. Correct. The good news for Coleman, though, the injury took place so early before the right. season that I don't think he'd be in danger of being back up and ready to go for training camp at worst compared to if you tear your ACL in the middle of the season, now you're all of a sudden starting to perhaps sacrifice part of the following season. I would say there should be a lot of competition at wide receiver on the Giants' depth chart. And so there's certainly room for somebody to fight for snaps. Well, Coleman had a great opportunity to be the third guy last year. Unfortunately, the injury bug didn't cooperate, and he had worked so hard to get back to a stable area where a team believed him in and give him an opportunity. And, and again, unfortunately, new it didn't work staff. out. Yeah, so Although Tyke Tolbert's still here, the receiver's You're coach. right, Tyke's still here, but once again, different evaluations and so forth across the board, especially the headman. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Len? Hey guys, how you doing? Yeah, hey, real quick, you got um, uh, Paula. You uh, on occasion the, the uh, school name St. Francis of Loretto, Pennsylvania, comes up, and I assume you would know the name Maurice Stokes if I threw it out. At yes, you. sir. Basketball player. There you go. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Great story. If anybody ever wants to look into yes, it, yes, it is. And his background, but man, we're back late fifties into the early sixties there. But Stokes was he put that school on the map. That's for sure. Yes, he did. Hey. Um, you know, anything we read about Wills from Alabama and Worfs from Alabama is going to be very positive, and it's going to be about their play at right tackle. So what's wrong with drafting either one of those guys and playing them at right tackle for 10 years? Why is it that every time we draft a tackle, anybody, just seems like any time anybody's going to draft a tackle, people immediately start talking about moving him to left tackle. I mean, hey, if this guy's going to be a star for 10 years at right tackle, I'll take that with the fourth pick. Either one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, why, why the position switch? They got noticed playing right tackle. Play them at right tackle when you draft them. I mean, if it's a need, too. I mean, we do have a need. Yeah, but by the way, just uh, worse is from Iowa. I, I think you probably meant that. You just said Alabama. I but think, for the yeah. listener, yeah, well, worse well, is well, out of Iowa. Wilson. Wills yeah, is yeah, out Wilson, of Alabama, Wilson, but Alabama. well, no, worse was brought up. Worse as well is another guy. He's out of Iowa. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, both those guys. Yeah. Have made their name this year playing right tackle. Right, which was his point. Well, no, he but he brought up both. That's why yeah. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. No, I'm in agreement with you, Len, though. But both guys, listen, we just we just spoke to another caller where we were talking about you can't hide a tackle. So you need a yeah, legitimate I mean, guy at yeah, right and left. There's right. no doubt about it. Right, right, yeah. right. And, um, um, you know, within that conversation, anything you read, uh, you know, any of these experts now are going to talk about Wills, and they're going to talk about them protecting Tua's blind side. Because two is left-handed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know what that means, but we're going to hear a lot of that, I think, leading up to the draft and to the combine as well. As well. But I'll, listen, I'll take either one of those guys and put them at right tackle for 10 years. Um, now, if somewhere along the line, this is my opinion, somewhere along the line you're going to move one of those two guys to left tackle, I think right now Worfs, the Iowa guy, has got a better chance of moving to left tackle down the line simply because of his athleticism. But, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, give me a 10-year right tackle, and I'll take it Len, at number four. Len, yes. if at number four they get the next Forrest Gregg or Jackie Slater, I think you'll be pleased. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, your mention of backup quarterbacks for next year, 
and, and you mentioned McCoy from down here in Washington. I, I get the feeling from what I read and, you know, what I hear on radio down here and on TV, Colt McCoy is starting to make the transaction, uh, transition toward understanding that his future really is as a backup quarterback in the NFL. I mean, there was a time when Colt thought, I'm mm-hmm. going to challenge for a starting Yeah, he job. got hurt, unfortunately. So he's a, he's, a, he's a good guy to be looking at because he can play a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, he can play a little bit. You know, if um, I would not be shocked if Okuda was sitting there at number four. I think Detroit is going to look at that guy, Brown. One of the previous callers talked about Brown. Um, I think Patricia would like an inside guy, a real tough inside guy to replace Snacks. And, um, you know, I, I, I just think maybe Brown's going to go, we're going to get Okuda. And you know what, guys? We need to get bigger at corner. We need to get bigger at corner. And Okuda is six one two oh five. Man, he's a stud. He's a really if terrific there, prospect. There's no question about that. There's nothing not to like about him. I can't. No, he's a oh, strong cover guy. I yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I would I, I would not be shocked if he were there, and I would not be shocked if we pick you know if we pick him. All right, um, yeah. all right, Len. Len, we got to uh, yeah, we're going to wrap it, up here, it, so we'll it, leave it at that. Okay, get yeah. us next time, Len. Yeah, Thank you. One more thing, real quick. Okay, yeah, um, it, it's it. You you were talking about next week being uh, the time when we could um, tag franchise players, correct, and um, and transition players. That that also means that sometime. In the next few days, and I would think any minute now, we're going to see reports on what comp picks we have. Yes. Yeah, this is around the time of the year. It should that be, that usually it should be and we, and likely this any, week. Uh, yeah, and I would think sometime this week we're probably going to hear what the cap number is. No, that would, doesn't would come that, out. No. That doesn't come out until the new league year starts. So that's not until March. Correct. It's too early on oh, that okay. front. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Len. Okay. Yep. All right, Len. Okay. Be good. Appreciate yeah, it. You got it. Thanks so much for weighing in as that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Brought to you by Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment, Made to Chill. Big Blue Kickoff Live be up and running again tomorrow at noon Eastern. For Paul DeTino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.